This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now enjoy today's message with Ted Cunningham. So we're in this series called Check the Gauges, and we're finishing it today. Uh, Shay took us to the relational gauge last week, and today we're talking about the spiritual gauge. And we've looked at how personal wellness leads to ministry effectiveness. And our desire today is to work and to share with all of you in here and online who um, feel as though you're empty. And you're like, I've had a walk with the Lord for a long time, but I just feel spiritually dry. Or maybe you're brand new to the faith and you want to know, what does it mean to live a full life in Christ? What does it mean to be filled by God? And I get to do marriage events uh, around the country. I love doing it. And I usually start every event by sharing, Jesus is your source, Satan is your enemy, your spouse is your companion. And if you want to experience high levels of marital satisfaction, never treat your spouse like the source or the enemy. And you can say amen to this. Your spouse is not your source. Your children are not your source. Your boss is not your source. Your job is not your source. Your pastor is not your source. Yeah. And uh, I want to make sure you're all clear on that one. Jesus is your source. And if you want to be filled by God, if you want to be filled by God, you have to be connected to the source. And stay connected to the source. And today we're going to look at what does that mean? And we read Jesus in John chapter 15. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So for many, you're just connected to the wrong source. And I would hope that today you would fire other people as your source. People, places, and things make terrible sources. Okay? Jesus is our source. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. My kids live downtown, Corinne and Caden, and after the last storm, everybody started trimming up their trees, and they just kind of lay it down the road, and it goes there in the entire length of their road. And the first week, the, the leaves were still somewhat green. But for the weeks following, right, it, they, they got to the point they were very dead. The bottom line is once those branches hit the street, they were already dead, They were not connected to the source. And here's the interesting thing. Some of them still looked pretty good. But as the weeks went on, the more they were detached from the source or the the tree and the yard, the more dead they looked. And he says, if you do not remain in me, you are like that branch that is thrown away with her. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. And we've been going over these five gauges in our lives. Today we're on the spiritual gauge, but we've wanted you to see throughout this whole series how they're all linked together. If you have a relational crisis or a marriage crisis, it can lead you to a financial crisis. The financial crisis can cause you to lose sleep, and when you don't have a good night's rest, you know what that does to you emotionally. And today we're seeing how all of it is tied to the spiritual gauge. And maybe you've read or heard in the last couple of years of, I know, I know you've heard of the Great Resignation, A lot of people have left their jobs and not returned, and there was a worker shortage, and we're like, where'd they all go? But alongside that conversation is this great resignation in the church, that that people didn't return to church. Uh, That's obviously not the case at 10 at Woodland Hills Family (laughs) Church. But I've noticed this just, and this is my observation, I have no research to back this up, but conservative churches that I go to 
are growing. Churches that have maintained strong theology and have not drifted in what they believe have seen growth. Those who have drifted a bit or away from truth, and, and I've just seen, yeah, there is a struggle. And it's interesting, a lot of these articles I read, that's never discussed. But it's this balance today that we're looking at, not really balance on this chart, but the, the drift to burnout. Okay, some of you in here, go ahead to the next slide. Some of you in here are drifting in your faith because you're no longer connected to the source. You've looked to other sources. And some of you maybe have been drifting in the gathering and church wasn't as important to you, but maybe now you're getting back into it. But it's still not something that you do consistently. Uh, We see this in all of our relationships, in marriage, right? If I stop talking to Amy, we're going to drift. If I stop coming home, we are going to drift. (laughs) If I stop caring for her, we're going to find drift. So there are those who drift and those who have not found their way back to the church. I get that, and I know there's studies out there that show that. But we also have seasoned believers in here who are feeling burned out, right? You're on empty. Your spiritual gauge is on empty because of how much you've done for the Lord. And you've gotten to this place where you're shocked that in your work for the Lord, you meet people who are ungrateful. Like, Ted, I serve at Woodland Hills all the time, and I'm shocked at the number of people I meet. Most people are just great, but there's some people that are unkind, and I'm I'm a volunteer, And I I think a good example of this is what we have in our free coffee shop out there in the courtyard. I want to emphasize the word free because we never complain about free. And I'm shocked at the number of people that come up, make a request. We don't have it. Like, like, okay, it's free. Every drink in here is free. You take what you get. You don't pitch a yes. There's all the parents. So if you go out to our coffee uh, house right now, coffee club, bar, I don't know, I don't want to call it a bar, I'm scared anyway, but it's the coffee, <laughs> you're going to find people that have, I mean, they pour themselves into that place each week, and, and there's really only one attitude we take when we receive something free, and that is gratefulness. But some people burn out because it's like, when we serve, and when we give, and when we pour into, a lot of times it's not received. So you're feeling empty because you're looking for other people to fill you up. And you have forgotten why you started in the first place. You have forgotten who your source is. So whether you're drifting or burning out, here's what we know. Avoiding burnout, avoiding drift, is easier than recovering. And so today, if you're brand new to the faith, we're going to look at spiritual disciplines, what you can do to stay connected to the true and only source of life. Others, we're going to look at disciplines, and you know them, but maybe you don't know all of them. Or maybe you grew up in a church that practiced some of them, like I did, but I never learned about the other disciplines until I left home, or it was never an emphasis, at least. And here's what we know. Drift Drift happens, burnout happens, but don't allow your work for God to cause you to drift from your first love in Jesus. For those of you who've been putting time in here for quite some time, and I get it, you, go, you're, you work in Critter Street, you work in Wildwoods, parents drop kids off, and, and every now and then it pops in your mind, you've been dropping these kids off for a long time, I haven't seen you serving. When are you going to roll up your sleeves and get involved? Right? We can easily take our eyes off the one and only true source of life and put them on other people. 
And what we want to talk about, don't allow your work for God. I heard a pastor say this years ago. Don't allow your work for God to destroy God's work in you. And so we want to be full. So every time we show up to serve, every time we show up to give, every time we show up to help others, we are wellness. We are full and ready to give. The church at Ephesus had forgotten this. They drifted, and yet they were doing a lot of great work. I wouldn't even say they were in burnout, but they drifted from their first true love. And Jesus had this to say. We read this in Revelation chapter 2, 2 through 5. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. It goes on to say in verse 3, you persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. This, that's a good resume right there. That's a good job. You are standing on truth. You're doing the work of ministry. But look at what verse 4 says. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You have forgotten why you even started in the first place. So maybe that's you. And maybe that's why you're empty. I'd also use spiritually dry. You You just don't feel like what you do matters and when you do study and when you do pray, it's like, I'm, I'm just still leaving. I just feel maybe half a tank, maybe a quarter of a tank. So what do you do? Well, Jesus gives them a way back. Consider how far you have fallen. If you're on empty right now and disconnected from the true and only source of life, and you profess faith in Jesus years ago, I want you to today, as we go through these spiritual disciplines, to consider where you once were and where you are now. And when you, when you really do the, the gauge on this, and, and, and that's why I encourage you, that's why, I mean, figure out where you are and draw the line. I'm at a quarter. I'm at an eighth of a tank. Repent. Take it to your Father in heaven and repent for how far you have fallen or how you have drifted. He hears. He receives. And there's a way back. Anyone, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, anyone among the living has hope. There is hope for everyone in here, whether you're burned out or drifting. Repent and then do the things you did at first. And we're going to look at some of those things today that you did at first and then add some new ones for the majority of us that maybe it was never taught or practiced in the church that we grew up in. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. I grew up going you know, to an independent fundamental premillennial King James Version only Baptist church. And that included going to an independent fundamental premillennial King James Version only Baptist camp. (laughs) Went there every summer. And I can remember, and it it stuck with me because I heard it so many times, when a young person came forward and, and gave their life to Christ and they were saved and they would stand up at the front and the camp director would point down to him. And I'll never forget, he said it every single time after asking the question, have you confessed your sins? Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? He would end this all by saying, now listen, here's the key. Read your Bible and pray every day. Read your Bible and pray every day. And there's some of you in here that read your Bible and pray every day, and you're asking, why do I not feel full? I read my Bible and I pray every day, Ted. Or we're not legalistic about this. I may miss a quiet time. I may not get through my Bible reading plan But why do I, who have made that a priority, because I'm I'm here to tell you, read your Bible and pray every day is not all there is. There's more. One author I dove back into this week, uh, deep, he's a deep thinker, but a great writer. His name is Dallas Willard. 
He's an American philosopher who specialized in Christian spiritual formation. He was actually born in St. Louis. He went to be with the Lord just uh, at 10 years ago. And he, he's one of those, when you read his book, uh, you, you get through a paragraph, you get to the end, and you're like, I think I know what he said, but I should probably read that paragraph again. Because he's such a deep thinker and writer. And he has a great book out called The Spirit of Disciplines. And still, still used as a resource by so many in the church and so many leaders and so many pastors. And here's how he describes spiritual disciplines. Mimicking Jesus' activities. Doing what Jesus did. Doing what Jesus did. And I love the analogy that he uses of sports. Because you know the athlete that your pastor is, it, it resonates with me when I read stories about what it means to be a great athlete. But here's what he says. He goes, the problem with young athletes, young athletes go onto the field, they go onto the court, they go onto the course, and they want to play like they're heroes. And they may have the same level of natural ability. The problem is that young athlete, they don't, they don't take the time or the energy, they don't put the practice in to, to live life like they're hero does on and off the court, on and off the course. He says, so when they get on there and they want to swing and they want to hit and they want to do it just like their hero, they're, they're, not, they're not living up to that level because they're not living their life like that athlete. So I, as I read that, I thought, who are the athletes that I looked up to growing up and today? So the first one, I grew up outside of Chicago, Michael Jordan. Now, I probably don't have the same natural ability as Michael Jordan. <laughs> But I did play in seventh and eighth grade, and that's a strong word. I practiced in seventh and eighth grade. <laughs> Didn't get a lot of game time. I was the guy, a minute left, we're down by 40. Put Ted in. All right, so. But I wore Jordans. Wearing Jordans didn't make me Jordan. You know why? I didn't do anything. Time-wise, energy I didn't. I didn't behave my life on and off the court like Michael Jordan. So I gave up basketball. I, I retired from basketball in eighth grade. And said, so let's try something else. So I took on uh, golf. And we all know, we watch Tiger Woods. There's golfers in here that, that you like, you want to be an awesome golfer, and you get out there, I've been with you. You think you're Tiger Woods, and I get to be the one that reminds you, you ain't Tiger Woods. <laughs> but, I mean, we watch it. Listen, do you know how many hours? And do you know what Michael Jordan and Michael Woods? Tiger Woods. Yeah, I got to keep my sports, <laughs> my hero's name straight. All right, so... Uh, Tiger Woods, you know the amount of time and energy they put in and the, the reps that they put in? He wasn't a hero of mine growing up, but I just watched a documentary on McEnroe. I cannot recommend this because he is a potty mouth. <laughs> he is a terrible potty mouth. Uh, I felt I, halfway through. He's great at tennis. He's got total attitude and total potty mouth. But he won Wimbledon. He wins the tournaments back in the 80s. And it's, it's what he did on and off the court. And this is, this is what Dallas Willard says. If you want to be a follower of Jesus and live your life like Jesus, know what Jesus did and do that. Don't just come to church and learn about it and leave. No, learn about it and then go do it. Like, put it into practice, and not once, or not just on Sunday, or not just on Sunday, Monday, or by Wednesday, you've forgotten, and you're kind of drifting from what we talked about. No, it's your everyday, ordinary walk-around life is taking on the life 
teachings and practices of Jesus. I watched this tennis thing. I told Amy, I got off the plane, and I'm like, hey, I just watched this unbelievable thing on tennis, and I'm ready. I'm ready for pickleball. Let's get it. Let's get it going. I think I watched enough videos. I'll probably win every tournament Branson has. But I think about me getting, this is what I would look like if I took up pickleball. I, I know it. But at least he's out there. Can I get an amen on that one right there? One more, because it takes us back to defending the kingdom. Today, we're going to be watching, and I have... I, I, kickers just amaze me because they got one job to do and they got to deliver. And how many times have you watched an athlete and especially a kicker? I know I've had this attitude going, I could totally do that. <laughs> it's not that far from the goalpost. And, and, and look at, look at this range right here. Look at it. Are you, are you watching this? I got it. A couple of years ago, I was with my friend, the coach at Liberty University. Liberty's my alma mater. I love Liberty. And I'm back there with Coach Freeze. And he's taking me around and showing me the, uh, the football practice field and all that. And I walk by, and I'm like, this is my moment. And I go, hey, you mind if I kick an extra point? He goes, sure. And so he, he was my holder. And I made 10 attempts. <laughs> 10 attempts. I'm only going to show you the final attempt. And I'm going to ask that you hold your applause. <laughs> but here's me on my 10th attempt. And I want you to see my form, particularly. A lot more energy. <laughs> oh, it was so close. It was so close. That was it. I, and then he said, Ted, I want you to hold it for our kicker. And that kicker came over. And I immediately thought to myself, that coach held that 10 times for me, I could have broke his finger. I'm not skilled in this at all. Why? I've never done it. But I get out there and I give it a shot. And then I hold it for their kicker. He drilled that thing to the back net. And I'm like, amazing. And I start talking to him and I realize, I'm, I know I don't have the natural ability to put that aside for just a second. But the amount of time and dedication they put into it. So for those of you who've disconnected from the true and only source, you say you love Jesus. You want to walk with Jesus. Well, today, let's talk about connecting to the true and only source of life and living life as he did, taking on the teachings, the life, and the practices of Jesus. Dallas Willard says this about discipleship, and I love it. It's rearranging my life around the activities around which Jesus lived his life, right? It gives me the opportunity to experience true transformation, true transformation. And I I, this week, I thought about all that I grew up in the era of the WWJD bracelets. And we need to stop asking what would Jesus do and start doing what Jesus did. Because what are we talking about? Whether it's kicking or tennis or golf or the shot, it's muscle memory. It's muscle memory. It's like when you get in the situation, you're, you're ready to go. I love the movie Top Gun Maverick. How many have seen that movie? One of my favorite scenes in that movie is when Maverick gets called back to Top Gun, he's standing at the end of the, that long table, and the admiral asks, says to him, Maverick, your reputation precedes you. And he goes, thank you. Wasn't a compliment. <laughs> what was his reputation? Well, he was a rebel, but in training other pilots, he had one simple rule he gave the pilots. I'm going to train you. I'm going to put you through more drills and more exercises so that when you're face-to-face -face with the enemy... I don't want you to think. I want you to act. 
think about it. So, so when you and I take on the life and the practices of Jesus, when we're in a situation, how should I treat this person? How should I make this ethical decision at work? How should I give over here? I don't have to ask, what would Jesus do in this situation? If I'm walking with Jesus, I'm filled by God, I can make the right decision. It's in my muscle memory. Being, being filled by God, listening to the Holy Spirit of God, we're ready to go. So don't just ask, what would Jesus do? Start by doing what Jesus did, and that's what we're talking about today. We're not called Jesus listeners. We're called Jesus followers. Taking what he said and doing it. Taking what he did and doing it. We read about the wise and the foolish builder in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine leaves, goes to Cracker Barrel, and watches the game. You're set. You're ready. No. It's he who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice does something with them. That person is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now watch the storm. Verse 25, the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew. They beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Compare and contrast to the foolish builder in verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine leaves church, does nothing with them, who reads the Bible, studies the Bible, and this is why I hope you see today, discipleship is far more than Bible study. A lot of people hear the word discipleship and they're like, Bible study. It's far more than that. It's learning what God said and doing it, putting it into practice. If you don't put it into practice, you're like the foolish man who built his house on sand. And look at verse 27. It reads just like verse 25 because it's the same storm. It's the same storm. Some of you are like, well, that person doesn't know what I'm going through. They've had storms in their life just like you have storms. Maybe, maybe they withheld during the storm and you're not because they have a different foundation. I don't get to choose every storm that comes into my life. But here's the good news. I do get to choose my foundation. I 100% get to choose what I do with God's word. And that's what it did. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. It's the exact same storm. If you've ever wondered why can that person stand up and I end up falling with a great crash, it's a foundation issue, not a storm issue. And how do you work on your foundation? You take what we're talking about today and you actually do something with it. In James 1.22, we read, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So let's talk a little deeper about these spiritual disciplines today. And I'm gonna, we're gonna go right to Dallas Willard on it. I'm not gonna give you an exhaustive list, but it's probably a list for most of us in here we know of some of them, but I, we had staff in the debrief after 8.15 going, oh, I never knew that was a discipline. So we're not giving all of Dallas Willard's uh, disciplines today, but here, here's what I want you to consider. Maybe you've been taught that spiritual disciplines are all you need to be filled by God and to stay connected to the source, but you have not been taught all of the spiritual disciplines. So we're opening our hearts and minds today to God's word. And what are the disciplines that maybe we're missing? Or you've been taught all of them throughout your lifetime. Maybe you've been taught the spiritual disciplines are all you need to be filled by God, but you don't practice them. They're, they're not a, a daily part of your life. And you don't practice all of the spiritual disciplines. So the next two slides we'll spend a little bit of time with. And Dallas Willard breaks down the disciplines into two categories. The first category is disciplines of uh, abstinence, and the second category is disciplines of engagement. We're going to look at six in each, and we'll start with disciplines of abstinence. It's to refrain voluntarily and temporarily 
from normal human needs or normal human activities so as to disentangle our souls from their claims on us. And that's been a sacred echo for me this week. I love the term, the disentangled soul. Some of you right now have a hard time staying connected to the true and only source of life because you're all entangled with all of these human needs. So, it's, so we start, before we get into those of engagement, we start by disentangling our souls from the things that we need in life, right? But that we want to make sure they don't have a grip on us. The first one is solitude. We'll look at this just a moment. Jesus practiced solitude. Shay did a whole gauge last week on this, but yes, we need relationships. We need to be very inspiring people, not very draining people. But we need people in our lives. But there are times we need to disconnect from people and get alone. And you're going to see why that's so important when we get to prayer, when we get to studying, meditating, memorizing. But here's one maybe some of you haven't thought of, silence. Refraining from our need. And again, voluntarily and temporarily, but stepping back from our need for conversation. I only have one joke about monks, and you're going to get it right now. And it's about solitude and silence. This young man decided... He was going to practice these two disciplines for the rest of his life, so he joined a monastery. And when he showed up, the head monk says, you get to say two words a year. And so the first year went by, and the head monk came to the young monk and said, what are your two words? And he said, bed hard. Went another year. The head monk goes, what are your two words this year? Food bad. Went another year, third year. What are your two words? I quit. And the head monk said, good, you've been complaining since the day you got here. <laughs> there are parents in here right now going, I'm going to start with the spiritual discipline of silence. I'm going to move into a cone of silence this week. But refraining from that need for human conversation. How about fasting? Uh, I grew up in an independent Baptist church, and I'm going to tell you something. This was not a spiritual discipline we were taught. We were taught potluck. And I didn't learn about fasting until I went to Liberty University. That's true. They declared campus-wide fast. And, and I just, what is fasting? Fasting is disentangling your soul from food and wine. And some of you need to practice this so that food and wine won't have a grip on you. And, and that may be a practice you start this week and you pick a time, maybe from 6 o'clock Tuesday night to 6 o'clock Wednesday night. You're going to take that time to dive into prayer and use mealtime for prayer or study. Frugality. We don't like to think about this one too much, but you have plenty of money to do all you want. But it doesn't matter that, that this is, this is a, a spiritual discipline where we're able to say, money will not have a grip on me. Again, money's not evil. It's the love of money. We looked at that in the financial gauge. But I can walk through this store with things in it that I love and walk out buying nothing. Frugality, and there's guys in here going, oh, stay on this one just a little bit right there. <laughs> Frugality is saying, I'm able to walk, I can, I, can, I can afford luxury, I can afford real nice, but I'm going to refrain temporarily, voluntarily, so that money doesn't have a grip on my soul. I need to disentangle myself and my soul from possessions. Secrecy, this is one, this is practicing your good works so that nobody knows about it. You don't have to, if you're going to give money to something, you don't have to put it on a big check and present it. Just give. Just give. And do it as quietly as possible. Chastity. For those of you not married, you practice this discipline up to the day of your honeymoon. 
For those of you married, we read in 1 Corinthians 7, and I hope you see this now, the abstinence and engagement, because what does Paul say? There's a time for a husband and wife to refrain from sex and let it be for the purpose of what? Another spiritual discipline, prayer. Let's take that time. So there are times you refrain from sex even in marriage. So this is the disentangling of our soul. So sex and money, food, wine, relationship, words, they don't have a grip on us. And that's between you and the Lord this morning. So what has a grip on you right now? And that's going to be the one that maybe you start with this week. Here's the disciplines of engagement. The practices which enable... I love it. Here it is. Our disentangled souls, so they're ready to go, to participate in the life and activities of the kingdom. That's Dallas Willard's definition. It's perfect. And here are six of them. I want to again tell you, not, not an exhaustive list. Study, which can include memorization, meditation. Travis Bronner, one of our elders, is across the way right now teaching a class called Habits. And almost all the disciplines we're talking about today are in that class. But study, and we've talked about that. It's, it, there's more than just study. Worship that you would participate in this outside of our gatherings. And worship is more than just music. It's more than just a day of the week. It's more than a place you go. It's expressing love to God. And for me, I, I obviously, obviously love the music part, and I, I sing all week long. I want this to be a discipline I never let go. Prayer. And you saw the disentangling of our souls. Like, well, what do I do in the times where I'm not eating? Pray. Worship. What do I do in the times where... We're not intimate. Prayer, worship. What do I do in the times where we have refrained from using words? Prayer, worship, study, celebration. You're going to see in a moment we don't, we don't refrain permanently from all that we just looked at in the other disciplines because there are times to celebrate. There are times to eat together with glad and sincere hearts. We need food to live. It's, it's something we do to disentangle our souls. Service. This is where a lot of people find their burnout because this has been their primary spiritual discipline. I, I want to say, I love Dallas Willard's quote. It's probably his best quote he's best known for. Because some of you are hearing all this and going, Ted, grace is, is how we're saved. For by grace we're saved through faith. It's not of our works. It's not of all this stuff. And here's what he says for those who would say, I don't need to do all of this to be connected to the true and only source. Grace is opposed to works, not effort. So, yes, I am saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen. But if I want to stay connected to the true and only source of life, that's why we practice these disciplines and fellowship. And I know there are many watching online. If you've not, I can't imagine this would be true of anybody watching online. If you've not found your way back to a physical gathering, online is great, and I would even call it a supplement. But it's, it's no, and it never will be a substitution for the real thing. So my encouragement to you, like my son's at college right now. We FaceTimed yesterday. I'm grateful for FaceTime. But if that's all I ever have with my son from here on out, uh-uh. I was with him last week. I flew him to where I was just so I could hug him. And I'm not saying come here to, so I could hug you. But I'm saying <laughs> somebody will hug you. I'll point to a few people that will hug you if that's what you need. But, but, but you need fellowship. Here's what... Dr. Tony Evans says about fellowship, about the gathering, and I think, I think you put almost any of the disciplines in this statement right here. I hear people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian, and they are absolutely right. Salvation is through faith alone, in Christ alone. You don't have to go home to be married. But stay away long enough, and your relationship will be affected. It will be changed. 
So let's look at the scripture on some of these disciplines. Again, not all of them. As we wrap this up, and hopefully you're going to pick one or two that you've neglected or that maybe you've never been taught. And you say, okay, those are going to be the ones that I run with this week. We read about Jesus very early in the morning. While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place. Here's what I want you to see in the text that we're about to look at. I want you to see how disentangling the grip of people and their demands and needs, how disentangling from people or how disentangling from food connects with the other disciplines. And in this case, Jesus went to a solitary place. He got away from the demands of people where he practiced another spiritual discipline, prayed. And again, we want to take on the life of Jesus. In Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, we get disciplines connected to each other. I want to give you three examples of it, and they all are kind of the same as we talk about giving, prayer, and fasting. Jesus said, when you give to the needy, when you serve others in that way, do not announce it with trumpets or big checks, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue. They don't do it with big checks. But as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. Okay? If, if, if the purpose of your giving is recognition, what does Jesus say? To be honored by others, truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. They were looking for the recognition and they got it. There's no further reward after that for them. That was the first. So where, what do we got here? We got serving, giving, coupled with secrecy. I don't have to announce it. I don't need everybody to know what I just did. I, here's an application. I think you can have fun with this. For those of you who have a few extra bucks on you this week, or maybe not, it's going to be sacrificial. There's no greater joy in life than for you to put cash in an unmarked envelope and give to someone in need. I'm telling you. And some of you are like, I did that and went to jail for it, Ted. And... Uh, <laughs> I'm not talking a bribe. You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) I'm talking, you give to someone, they are, I hear about it all the time at this church, people who have received a financial blessing from someone. I don't know who gave it to them. They're just assuming it was from somebody in the church and they're like, they didn't even know I had this need, but they gave me this and I cannot, and they're all emotional. And I'm like, what great joy that person has, what greater joy this person has who is able to meet that need. Here's the next one. That's giving to the needy. When you pray, exact same thing, just like giving to the needy. Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, that's what they're looking for. It's what they got, and that's it. But when you pray, go by yourself alone and pray before your Father in heaven. One more example from that. When you fast, so when you give, when you pray, when you fast, here's three spiritual disciplines coupled with another discipline of secrecy. Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Uh, One of the groomsmen in my wedding 27 years ago showed up, and he wasn't eating with us at the rehearsal dinner. And I kind of went to the side and go, hey, what's going on? And it was at that moment that he, he, you know, he's at the table and stuff, but at that moment I realized he was was coming out of a 40-day fast because we had just graduated. He was trying to figure out God's calling on his life, and, and he didn't discuss it much with me. Nobody in the wedding party or no, no one knew what was going on. Listen, so when you don't disfigure your faces to show others how holy you are, truly I tell you, if that's what you're looking for and that's what you got, that's all you're getting. In Matthew 4, 4, Jesus, right, fasting in the wilderness, he answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. We can disentangle from food, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So there's a couple warnings I want to give you as we draw this to a close. There's warnings with the spiritual disciplines. Obviously, the, the warning of pride, as we just looked at, 
in the Sermon on the Mount. There's the warning of, of doing this to be like, hey, I want you to know all that. No, that's not why we do it at all. But there's a couple other warnings that go with this. Number one, if you neglect the disciplines, you'll drift. This is what we do to stay connected to the true and only source of life, and it's what we do to be filled by God. So maybe something's missing, or maybe something's never been taught. But here's another one. Don't apply the disciplines to the neglect of appropriate responsibilities. So like parents this week, right? You have responsibilities with children. You will have opportunities to participate in spiritual disciplines, but you can't do it to the neglect of responsibilities. So what I want to do as we close is show this list one more time, both of them side by side, those of abstinence and those of engagement. And I want you to look at this, and I just want you, this is between you and the Lord right now, which one are you neglecting? Which one maybe you just learned about for the first time today? You've never considered it. You're going to go home and you're going to study. You're going to study this discipline more. Obviously, you could do an entire series. We could do a 12-part series on these spiritual disciplines. And maybe we will in the future. But what is missing? A friend of mine uh, went to, to a retreat center in Nebraska uh, this year. And it, it's, it was founded, funded, and started. It's a multi-million dollar retreat, gorgeous facility by Joe Ricketts, one of the co-owners of the Chicago Cubs. And uh, he, his life was changed on a silence retreat. So my friend went and spent five days at this silence retreat with a lot of other people. They all sit in the dining room together. And, all, and the only rule on the campus is no talking, not one word. And I don't know about you, I'd lose my mind. He's a Jayhawks fan. He said, another guy walked into the dining hall with a Jayhawks shirt on. He goes, I know I couldn't say anything, but I was going. <laughs> but, but wouldn't, you couldn't say a word. And he just talked about what disentangling himself from people and words and the need for communication did and how it brought him to a place in his relationship with the Lord. And, and that's just one example of all of these when you dive into the spiritual disciplines and say, I'm going to make this a part of my everyday, ordinary walk around life. I don't want you to take this list. Some of you in here, are, I, I know who you are. I know the personalities in the room, and they're going, I wrote them all down, and I'm going to do all 12 today. I know I'm going to do all 12 today. That, that's not the goal today. And I, I'll be full by tomorrow at noon, Ted, because I'm going to do this. I'm going to just back it down a notch. Let's all just take a big, deep breath. I'm asking you for the plan, one or two, one or two that you've neglected, you've drifted from, you've never known about until today. And you and the Lord right now as we pray, say, hey, Father, I am going to dive in with this. I need some time alone with you. I need to back up from my words a little bit. Food and wine, they do have their grips on me right now. And I'm going to back up from that this week. I don't even know what that looks like yet, but I'm going to study it this week. I'm bringing it to you right now. I, I hope there's great transformation in our church as a result of these gauges. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, I, I pray for all of us that we would be mindful, that we would all know these spiritual disciplines, that we would know when we need them, and that we wouldn't run from them, we would run to them in the moments we need that solitude, in the moments we need that secrecy, in the moments we need that silence, in the moment we need that fast, in, in the time of prayer, in the time of worship, in the time of celebration, in the time of study, that all of these would be just richer in our lives 
because of our focus on them. We want a church that's full, people who are full and well, so we can be about your agenda and your kingdom. We pray all of this in the authority of the name of Jesus, and everyone agreed and said, amen.